BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Los Angeles last week acknowledged past wrongs against its Chinese residents, apologizing for a mass lynching and shooting that took place 150 years ago. Here's L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. Because we need to say it. I'm sorry. L.A. is just the latest and largest city in recent months to reckon with its anti-Chinese legacy. San Jose and Antioch have also attempted to make amends. We look at what's driving this recent effort and what it can achieve. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A handful of California cities have been reckoning with their historic anti-Chinese legacies, Los Angeles acknowledged and apologized last week for its 1871 mass lynching of Chinese Angelinos. In September, San Jose apologized for fomenting racial hatred and the burning of its Chinatown in 1887. And it was in May that Antioch became the first city this year to issue a formal apology for its past racist and xenophobic policies and the mob-led destruction of its Chinatown in 1876. This hour, we look at what's driving these attempts to make amends and their potential impact. And joining me first is Mayor Lamar Thorpe, mayor of Antioch. Mayor Thorpe, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. I want to start by asking what inspired you to issue this apology now? Uh, what inspired me, uh, frankly, was um, uh, last year's uh, racial reckoning uh, post-George Floyd at Black Lives Matter. Uh, we, saw, uh, we saw racial reckoning in this country as it related, obviously, to uh, Black bodies, and particularly those engaged with uh, policing. Uh, I was elected in that time. We talked about change, police reform. We've talked about other issues related to the matter. And so uh, kind of in the uh, one of the back burner issues during that time was obviously um, anti-Asian, uh, anti-Asian American hate. Mm. Uh, and so obviously very troubling, but certainly wasn't at the forefront the way it probably should have. Uh, and, and I thought it was interesting that we, we kept pointing the finger at former President Trump, rightfully so. Uh, but it, it was missing, you know, some historical context. Uh, and so when I became the mayor, uh, you know, we uh, we saw more of it up front uh, and it just became concerning to me. And 
one of the things that really bothered me was when I would look on social media and I, you know, uh, post things like stop API hate and I get comments from people will tell your people to stop beating up my people. Uh, and when you looked at the news and you, you, you saw young uh, men of color uh, doing some of these things, it was, it was very disappointing. Uh, but it was, it was, it missed historical context. I was very familiar with Antioch's history related to its early Chinese immigrants and tunnels in our downtown. Uh, obviously I, I know a lot more about it now than what I did then. Uh, so I, I set out to do a, uh, a proclamation kind of, uh, standing in support of the AAPI community. Um, but I also didn't want to do something that was empty. Uh, I wanted to do something that was meaningful. So I wanted to when doing the proclamation condemning AAPI hate, I announced that I would do an, an official apology on behalf of the city for its mistreatment of Chinese, early Chinese immigrants. Uh, and particularly, we embraced the idea that uh, what is happening now is directly uh, related to what happened in the past. Uh, and so what we now know of is the driving out period of, of many Chinese, early Chinese immigrants throughout California, uh, you know, has contributed to the culture that we see today uh, yes. in violence with Chinese and Asian Americans. Talk a little bit more about that past. What was life like in Antioch if you were Chinese in the late 1800s before they were driven out, as you say? What were the tunnels? Uh, so Antioch was founded, is one of the California's oldest cities. And so uh, Antioch had the same kind of racist history that California did when ch early Chinese immigrants came here. Uh, and so Antioch was a sundown town, officially became a sundown town where we did not allow Chinese uh, residents to be uh, to be allowed to uh, to be out uh, at dusk. Uh, they built tunnels underneath of what is what was then Chinatown, uh, what is now downtown Antioch. Uh, and so you, we have old tunnels where folks used to safely walk home or to their businesses. Uh, but, you know, burning down of Chinatown and um and um, having the tunnels was nothing compared to uh, the the uh, the the constant threat of Chinese lives uh, in this city. And so it was, you know, while we had enough, you know, we while we burned Chinatown to the ground in 1876, there were still acts of 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 um, of, of, um, of uh, violence towards Chinese immigrants. Uh, they set individual homes on fire. They set businesses on fire. They had protests. The newspapers were in absolute disgrace. I mean, some of the headlines were unbelievable when you read them today, uh, talking about Chinese immigrant, excuse me, really Chinese residents. Um, the, they were constantly blamed for everything that was wrong with the city. Uh, you know, so, you know that, that uh, what existed then is no different than what we see today hmm. uh, with certain other groups. And so it was, it was, it was just, it, it was a place where you were not welcome. And if you were here, you were going to be made feel uh, not to be welcome. Uh, you mentioned, so, yeah, you mentioned the headlines of that time. I was struck by them too, when I saw the LA Times reporting them about the driving out of the Chinese in 1876. Mm -hmm. One of them was like, today the remaining houses have been removed and Antioch is now free from this degraded class. And then the Sacramento Bee right. wrote, Antioch has now no Chinese or Chinatown. The Caucasian torch lighted yeah. the way of the heathen out of the wilderness. It is incredible to see how lauded and normalized this action was at the time. And I'm struck by earlier you saying that you see a direct connection to 
the unleashing of anti-Asian hate and discrimination presently because so much of the racism towards Asians just does take the form of going back to where going back to where you came from, like get out of here, like you don't belong here. And so you see that really, how little has changed, I guess, from from that time. You said something else, Mayor Thorpe, you said that you didn't want to do an empty apology. What is an empty apology? And what does it mean to ensure that it's not empty? You know, as an African-American, you know, this country has still, uh, I mean, we just have a hard time reconciling with, with, uh, with slavery. Jim Crow lynchings and, and all that stuff. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I hear government entities issue, quote, apologies, it's never with any form of reparation, any form of reconciliation, any form of anything. And so that's what I meant by I didn't want it to be empty. I had also seen, before I did the, 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 um, the proclamation that condemned uh, anti-Asian violence, uh, I had seen uh, a press conference by the DA of San Francisco where he was pressed uh, by a local news uh, journalist uh, related to why he was standing in solidarity with the Asian community during this time. And they specifically pressed him on, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, and I believe it was Amy Lee from uh, KTVU. Uh, and, and, uh, and I was struck by that because he didn't have an answer for it. Uh, and I don't want to, I didn't, uh, it, it, those were the right questions to ask. Uh, and certainly I didn't want to be standing out there apologizing and not being able to offer any form of reconciliation. Uh, and so, you know, renaming what was once uh, Chinatown as Antioch's historic Chinatown, you know, investing some funds into uh, telling this story that needs to be part of our social fabric as a community at the Antioch Historical Museum and in our downtown those were, to me, gestures that were, that were um, I think, reasonable in terms of, of offering something. And, of course, looking into any forms of reparations. Now, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure Chinese immigrants were allowed to own property back then, but that's part of the expedition we'll be on in terms of uh, finding out if anybody was wrong. You said that you were blown away by the reaction that Antioch's apology received. Why? What kind of reaction did it get? Well, I'm still blown away. Like when I hear you talk about, I mean, the fact that I'm even on forum talking about this still blows me away because, you know, I just thought we were doing the right thing. And it turned out that uh, we've got all this national attention related to this apology, uh, but, but certainly, but certainly worthwhile. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away that the city of San Jose thought that this was the right thing to do. And now I'm blown away that my, my, uh, the place I was born and raised Los Angeles did the same thing recently. So I'm, I, I, I can't believe that my little city off the Delta here, uh, helped lead the way to, to, for these other cities, these larger cities to do the same thing, but more importantly, to use this as a framework for ways that you can, for ways that cities and government entities can work with with communities that have been wronged historically. I saw an image of you looking at one of the historic tunnel entrances, I think in the basement of a hair salon where no one seemed to know of its significance. The image made me wonder what effect it had had on you to see that. Uh, You know, when you, you walk down the stairs, it looks like this creepy kind of nightmare on Elm street (laughs) passage and you're going down there and, you know, of course, you can't help but think, wow, we used to force people to do this just to get home safe. Uh, and so, the, the, you know, that 
again, I'm just staring kind of blank at, at, at the wall because I, I just kept thinking, trying to imagine this used to be a passageway. Now it's obviously sealed off with bricks and whatnot. And, but that used to be a passage for, uh, for, uh, for young men and women to go through just to go home safely because they weren't welcome uh, literally outside of the building. And so it's, it's always fascinating me, to me uh, to kind of relive those, uh, relive those experiences. It's just, it's unbelievable to me, unbelievable. It reminded me of when I went and visited, when I used to be stationed in Connecticut when I was in the Navy and I went and visited the Amistad. Uh, and I remember thinking, well, this will be fun. But when I got there and I, I saw all these white people taking pictures and enjoying themselves, I was just sick to my stomach because I just kept thinking about all the atrocities and, and, and the, 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 the human, what this boat signified. So the same thing was when I went down, down those steps, I just thought to myself, wow, I can't believe we did this to people. I really appreciate how this can make us all feel each other's um, experiences so much more deeply. I, I want to read one line from the resolution before I let you go, Mayor Thorpe, um, where Antioch wrote that the city must acknowledge that the legacy of early Chinese immigrants and xenophobia are part of our collective consciousness that helps contribute to the current anti-Asian American and Pacific Islander hate. We've been talking with Mayor Lamar Thorpe, Mayor of Antioch. Thanks so much for joining us, Mayor Thorpe. Thank you for having me. And I just uh, do want to give a shout out to our city clerk for helping me develop this uh, this resolution, Ellie Householder. She was instrumental in this whole process. Well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about cities apologizing for past atrocities against Chinese communities. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Are you a descendant of Chinese immigrants who experienced some of these atrocities? Beyond apologies, what would you like to see from cities and communities? And how were you taught about the Chinese contribution to the history of the American West? Lots more to dig into after the break. You can join 866-733-6786, the number 866-733-6786. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Across California, cities are apologizing for past atrocities against Chinese communities, violence, vigilantism, destruction of homes and businesses. Here's San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo. That the Council of the City of San Jose apologizes to all Chinese immigrants and their descendants who came to San Jose and were victims of systemic and institutional racism, xenophobia, and discrimination. 
You, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What do you think of this effort by cities to acknowledge or apologize for past racist violence against Chinese residents? What impact do you think it will have? 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Joining me now, Connie Youngyu, author of Chinatown San Jose, USA. Connie, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. And I'm thrilled to be on the program with uh, the mayor of Antioch. I mean, Lamari, um, you were so th- inspiring, you know, um, and it was great to hear your voice and, and to hear how you tried to build community and you have succeeded. And um, it's a, an apology heard around the world. Mm, thanks, Connie. And also with us is Beth Lou Williams, Associate Professor Associate Professor of History at Princeton University, also the author of The Chinese Must Go, Violence, Exclusion, and the Making of the Alien in America. Beth Lou Williams, thanks so much for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Williams, I want to start with you, if I could. I, uh, I know that what happened in Antioch is not isolated, especially as we know that San Jose has apologized and Los Angeles has apologized as well. Can you give us a sense of how widespread exclusion and racial violence against Chinese communities, how widespread it was in California and in the American West? Yes, unfortunately, um, there are lots of incidents of anti-Chinese violence in the 19th century. In my book, I I focus in particular on um, a period, sort of the the high point of this wave, an unprecedented outbreak um, that occurred in 1885 and 1886. And so in this sort of course of 14 months, 168 communities that I was able to document was involved in attempting, at least attempting to expel their Chinese residents. And I thought, um, since I'm talking to the Bay Area, I would name some of these other communities, um, you know, places like Alameda, Santa Cruz, Oakland, Pleasanton, Martinez, Mountain View, um, Tiburon, Walnut Creek, Vallejo, San Francisco, all of those places and others in California are among that list. And um, actually, you're talking to the entire state, so I bet that oh, list could be 10 times longer. Oh, my God. I, um, could, yeah. I could, I could. So I think, you know, the... Um, so that, you know, over 100, 168 just in that 14-month period. Um, but the other places that have been mentioned on the program so far aren't even on my uh, list, right? Because wow. Antioch, um, the burning of Chinatown uh, that uh, the mayor was just talking about was from 1876. It was earlier. Uh, the massacre of at least 17 Chinese men or lynching of them in Los Angeles from in 1871. And then in San Jose, the burning of uh, Market Street Chinatown occurred in 1887. So none of those places are even on my list. Um, so it gives you a sense of how broad uh, this violence was. Um, there are a few patterns to this violence. Uh, a lot of it was in the form of expulsion. And so we see a violence that was attempting to 
um, drive out sort of the, the Chinese residents in these individual towns. And so some common things we see um, is the burning of Chinatown um, or you know, sort of threats, ultimatums, um, deadlines by which the Chinese had to leave town. Um, so there's some patterns to this violence that we really see up and down the state of California as well as in the Bay Area. Yes, and you documented bombings and lynchings and, as you say, this level of creating economic duress as well as a way to get people out. Why was 1885-86 such a peak? What were the conditions that sounds like it caused things to get really bad? Yeah, I I think a, a couple things. So one thing is... Um, you know, in the late 19th century, there was sort of ongoing stereotypes and, and racist ideas about Chinese that sort of uh, didn't really ebb and flow. They were pretty static. Um, ideas that the, the Chinese were so-called uh, heathen coolies, that they were uh, heathen in that they were inassimilable, unable to become American, that they were coolies as in they were cheap labor, expendable or servile labor. I think that those sort of stereotypes, uh, which were persistent and pervasive uh, across the American West, um, then particular moments would uh, turn these longstanding beliefs into moments of violence. Mm -hmm. So in some of these locations, um, the violence occurred because of an individual incident in that town. Um, but in general, the other things that were happening in the mid 1880s uh, was that the federal government had recently uh, banned new uh, Chinese workers from arriving in 1882 um, with a law, uh, the, the Chinese Restriction Act, which is also known as the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, I think when the federal government sort of boldly declared that the Chinese were unwanted and undesirable in the United States, that this actually unleashed more local violence. It sort of made it sound like the federal government was on these individual vigilantes side. Oh. And then we combine that with sort of a boom and bust economy of the 1880s. And it was it was um, the violence came from both. And of course, Connie Young, you, it was in 1887, a year after Professor Lou Williams' research that a deliberately set fire tore through San Jose's Chinatown. And uh, you actually have ancestors, or you are a direct descendant of people who were directly affected by what happened in San Jose. Can you talk a little bit about your connection to it and how your family coped, what you learned as you did your research? Yes. First of all, I'd like to say, um, I, I think that the San Jose's burning of the Chinatown in 1887 was directly connected. It was part of that, that period that Beth Lou Williams is talking about because um, San Jose a year before had a convention, an anti-Chinese convention, um, you know, a national convention held on the Chinese question. So it's really part of that. It's just fer fermenting. Um, in one of the, the whereas clauses of the apology resolution, it says, whereas Chinese immigrants were met with virulent racism, xenophobia, and terrorism of anti-Chinese forces in San Jose from early on. And the, the climate was ripe for the arson fire because six weeks earlier, the city council condemned Chinatown as a public nuisance because 
their intention was to use this site for the building of their new um, city hall. I, I thought I'd mention that because it's just, uh, it, it's, none of this is isolated. Um, as you know, Beth indicated, but uh, I, I wanted to say that the years, it was almost like a domino effect where you, know, you have Tacoma, Seattle, Eureka coming down and it would be San Jose's turn. But it had been building up for a while. Um, my, gr my grandfather, Yong Song Wong, that's my father's father, uh, came to San Jose's Chinatown at the age of 11, one year before the Chinese exclusion law. And in my family, that was always sort of the milestone. You know, you're so lucky you're here because your grandfather came at the age of 11. If he waited until he was 12, he would not be able to come. So he came as a worker with his uncle to the third largest Chinatown in California at the time. And that was the Market Street Chinatown, right? And a, great location because it was very early and it seemed like the town had been built around it. But um, he said it was, it, it was a fantastic town. It had um, an opera house, many restaurants, stores, um, uh, a, a beautiful temple. And uh, he went to work right away. And then um, the, the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed and the Chinese communities, they were all connected. I mean, the, there's no, there's, the Chinese always belong to a family association, district association, and all of this was connected to an over, uh, over ruling body called the Chinese Benevolent uh, uh, and Consolidated Association known as the Six Companies. So there's a good communication. So the Chinese knew what was happening in other towns. They knew that this is, was going on and they always felt like the Market Street Chinatown that it was so large that they could fight it, that, mm. that they could resist. And um, my grandfather was working outside of Chinatown on May 4th, 1887. And he could see the fire, the huge plumes of smoke. And by the time he got to Chinatown with his you know, fellow workers, Chinatown was an inferno. What does it mean for you as a descendant to have San Jose apologize for this and other things that they did? Well, I think that myself and members of the Chinese community have been working on this history and legacy for decades. I wrote the book Chinatown San Jose USA um, in 30 years ago, and it was based on a lot of oral histories of my uh, father's friends and um, and also the memories of my grandfather telling these stories. My father was born in Highlandville, Chinatown. And this was, this was the Chinatown that followed the burning of San Jose's Chinatown because the point is this, the Chinese refused to be driven out. Within 10 days of the fire, 10 Chinese merchants met with John Heinlein, a landowner. Um, he owned five acres of pasture land and he agreed to lease land to the Chinese. So that was, the, my grandfather was able to come back, be a merchant and raise a family. And my father was born in this new Chinatown. But before, before it be, could be completed, the city of San Jose tried everything to, to prevent this new Chinatown from being built. Deny Highland permits, you know, trying to set a court injunction. But 
he and the Chinese overcame. So I, I feel this is a very inspiring story that is told in this resolution because the resolution acknowledges the responsibility of the city uh, for acts of racism against the Chinese. So to prevent them from building a new community after the arson fire, but it documents that the Chinese continued and um, therefore resolved, we will go forward and we will uh, acknowledge the past, but continue to, to work for community and um, actually extending it to, to all communities. And the, the reason why I feel very inspired is we have a legacy, a living legacy of this, this story of, of the attempts of the city to drive the Chinese out because we have San Jose's Japantown. Japantown grew out of Heinlandville, which later was decimated because of the Chinese exclusion law that there were so few Chinese workers in the valley and Chinatown was home base and therefore um, it, it just faded. And a few Chinese moved across the street to, to Japantown. And my, that's where my, my father and his parents lived um, after 1931. And so you, we have this, this thing that is continuing and the, the yes. city is now building a new um, complex on the site of the Market Street of the, I'm sorry, the Heinlandville Chinatown. And there will be a public park called Heinlandville Park. And there will be this history told in history medallions and a history wall and a, a children's Playground, so. so it sounds like it really has been inspiring to you, but, but I like the fact that you're also emphasizing that it acknowledges the resilience. We're talking with Connie Young-Yu, author of Chinatown San Jose, USA. Yu's grandfather was a resident of a Chinatown that was destroyed, and Yu was involved in San Jose's resolution, apologizing for its anti-Chinese policies and actions. We also have Beth Lou Williams with us, associate professor of history at Princeton University, author of The Chinese Must Go, Violence, Exclusion, and the Making of the Alien in America. And you are welcome to join the conversation. Post your comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us forum at kqed.org or get in touch by calling 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. This listener writes, I grew up in California and went to public schools K through 12. I learned a lot of California history but never heard much about the Chinese contribution to our state's history. Chinese helped build the West, and it's time we acknowledge that history, thanks to Mayor Thorpe and others who are demanding that we recognize this history and correct the wrongs. Professor Lou Williams, what did happen to a lot of this history? Oh, you mean, why do we not remember it? Yeah, do? why are we so unaware of this history? So many I have heard say this. People have said this to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's many things that go into the erasure of this history. You know, part of it is what, um, uh, what the mayor was referring to at the beginning of the program, which was that it wasn't, this violence wasn't seen as, um, as illegal or wrong at the time by many locals. Um, and I think because of that, you know, the way that a lot of this violence is written up in the newspaper is celebratory. It's just sort of, we have this um, labor problem and we have gotten rid of uh, the problem from our town. And I think unfortunately, you know, the earlier um, histories of, um, 
of Chinese exclusion of, of Chinese in the American West um, sort of parroted this version of events um, that people sort of rallied together and, um, and insisted that Chinese immigrants no longer be part of their communities. I think that the true violence of this, what it must have meant for individuals at the time is, is not something that made it to the papers. Um, and so it's it's difficult. I think also, you know, um, it's, it's amazing uh, Connie's family's story. In part, it's amazing because there are not um, as many descendants as one might think that are able to um, talk about this history and remember this history. I think there was a lot of silence in the Chinese community, um, some shame. Uh, this is not sort of the history that people pass down to their children. I also think that it's not remembered because the violence was so effective in many communities. I like how Connie's talking about in San Jose, the resilience of the Chinese community, the rebuilding, the remembrance. But unfortunately, that's not the case in all communities. And um, for example, in Tacoma, in Washington, the expulsion was absolute. Um, they burned um, all of Chinatown uh, in Tacoma, Washington. And so there, there's also been an attempt to apologize and to reconcile, but they have not actually located in town any descendants. There is no Chinatown in Tacoma. And we see the same thing in many communities in California, um, places like Eureka, where these expulsions really did sort of uh, erase an entire community um, from these from these towns. Well, Paul writes, as you appreciate Connie, Professor Lou Williams, Paul does as well. Great to hear Connie's voice on the radio today. She interviewed my grandmother, Lily Sung, in the 70s and helped oh. her tell her 1906 earthquake story. Connie was also at one time, if not still on the board of the San Francisco Historical Society and brings much to the discussion. So some love there for you, Connie Young Yu. And again, if you want to share whether you're a descendant of Chinese immigrants and what these apologies mean to you, or how you were taught about the Chinese contribution to the history of the American West, you can call 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or post thoughts on Twitter or Facebook. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at how cities, more and more of them, are apologizing, reckoning, acknowledging past atrocities against Chinese communities in the past, especially in the 1800s. And with us is Professor Beth Lou Williams, an associate professor of history at Princeton University, Connie Young Yu, author of Chinatown San Jose, USA, who is instrumental in San Jose's resolution apologizing for its anti-Chinese policies and actions. And joining us now is Russell Jung, professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University, also the co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate, which tracks and responds to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, and discrimination against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Russell Jung, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mina. Great to be on this um, amazing panel. Well, great to have you on with us. And just before the break, we were talking about how so little is known about this history. And... I'm wondering, Russell, what connections you see, or if you see a line, in the unleashing of anti-Asian racism that we've seen in the last couple of years, especially, and the lack of acknowledgement of these wrongs, or just a lack of knowledge of history? Um, Yeah, well, we're seeing a real parallel today to what's happened in the 1880s. Um, We have a recession uh, with... um, concerns about white workers losing jobs. We have politicians stirring up xenophobic rhetoric. We have diseases. In the 1880s, they had smallpox and leprosy. Today, we have COVID. So the conditions are just ripe um, today for anti-Asian violence as it was in the 1880s. And so we're seeing clear parallels um, and, again, a resurgence of racism. So the apologies are necessary, and apologies are necessary today as well. Well, Jackie writes, I'm Caucasian, and because of that, I get to be privy to the comments of other Caucasians. They often seem oblivious to my connection to the Chinese via my son-in-law. I'm especially disturbed by some evangelicals that are often not only bigoted, but seem to want to go to war with Chinese and other Asians these days. One of the things that has come up, Russell, is that sometimes people will say, well, I wasn't responsible for the harm. This was a long time ago. Why should I apologize? What is your response to that notion? Yeah, it's true you weren't there, but we're all part of this nation, and we have to take collective responsibility for our nation. And so if our nation or our city does something wrong, I think it's imperative that we admit to our wrongdoing and to change behavior to signal that such behaviors are immoral, atrocious, and vile. So you you saw it last year when leaders unleash hate, when they normalize hate, that signals for the rest of society that they too can be racist. You know, we passed the Chinese exclusion law in 1882, and you would think that would end the animosity against Chinese, but instead it actually opened up greater racism in the mid-1880s for racism against Chinese. So you could see how official rhetoric from leaders on top really actually signals to the rest of the nation that something is okay. So what we need now and for apologies in the past is for official statements to acknowledge what's wrong, to show our young people racism can't be condoned or tolerated, that violence especially is um, harming large portions of our communities. Have you seen a decline in the number of attacks reported on Stop AAPI Hate, Russell? We're seeing a lot of California counties like Orange and Los Angeles County coming out with their 2020 
reports on hate crimes and attacks, and they're showing a lot of what Stop AAPI Hate captured. I haven't heard as much in 2021. What what does that mean? Is there a decline, or does it just simply mean that uh, this is a story that isn't getting as much attention because it's been going on for a while? I think it is. um, The lack of attention is part of the media cycle. Our data shows that there's a continued surge in racism that, again, um, what has been unleashed about anti-China resentment, about fears about the pandemic, um, have really um, opened up the violence and racism against Asians today. So our numbers continue to show that racism against Asian Americans is prevalent, it's widespread, it's nationwide. You know, um, again, once, once the G's been uncorked, it's really hard to put the cork back in. And what, you know, again, a parallel to the past is that um, Professor Lou Williams talked about how there was a yellow peril of Chinese as being heathen coolies, that they don't belong and they're a danger to, to white labor. In the same way, today, Christian nationalists argue that America should be a white Christian nation and since Asians are neither white nor necessarily Christian, we should be attacked, you know, um, reviled and hurt. So, again, we see parallels that that's why you need official statements. That's why you need leaders like Mayor Thorpe to, to stand up against the racism. Hmm. Let me go to caller Don in El Cerrito. Hi, Don. Hello, are you on? Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead, Don. Okay, real quick. Thank you for the historical context. I really appreciate it. I'm an African-American male, uh, 50-plus, retired uh, uh, El Cerrito High School English teacher, uh, living in the Bay Area in California most of my life. Um, Number one incident, um, I condone categorically any act of violence against any group. Uh, The the African-American on video who've been attacked, who have attacked uh, Chinese people recently uh, is abhorrent. Mm. Oh, do you mean condemn, Don? You meant condemn I then? Can, I condemn. I'm sorry. Ooh, I misspoke. I condemn them. Condemn them. They, however, they are, for the most part, mentally ill or criminals or both who do that. They would do that to me, an African-American, if they thought they could get away with it. Okay, second, my second point. Uh, I walk down the street in El Torito, California every day. The Asian people cross into the, into the uh, street to avoid walking past me, okay? Um, a Friday, I went to visit a friend around the corner, and an Asian, I walked into her gate, and an Asian Chinese woman, I know she was Chinese because she also is her neighbor, is my friend's neighbor, attacked me, verbally attacked me for opening the gate and walking, uh, attempting to walk to my friend's uh, apartment, which I had been invited to, uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Okay, one, more, one last thing. In 2019, in Barcelona, Spain, I was standing in a, 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 a store in one of, the, one of the outlet malls there, international, many Asian people, many uh, uh, world people there. Two Chinese children could, know, could not have been more than eight or nine or maybe ten at the oldest, at the latest. 
they jeered at me for as long as I was in that boutique, in that shop. They jeered at me. They jeered and jeered. Well, Don, what is going on? Yeah, I what think that's a great question. I'm sorry for those experiences that happened to you. I wonder if you think that the acknowledgments that we're talking about on today's program of what happened to Chinese Americans in the past, the concurrent effort to acknowledge the atrocities against Black Americans as well, do you think that they are effective in creating a shared understanding of our experiences um, that can open the door to less of those experiences happening among racial groups. What do you Are you think? asking me? I was actually, yeah, curious, Don, if you think that that's one way. Do you no, think that's I've been think I've been affecting me. It affects me today. I could walk out my house in El Cerrito, California, where I've been living for a number of years. I've worked here. I'm a member of the community. Yeah. It will happen today, today at 11 o'clock. I know it, but I don't know. I wish I knew. May, I'm thinking about it, though. Yeah. And I have some ideas, but it's well, too much. It, it'll take all of us. That's such a good. Every single one of us. That's a great point. And uh, I appreciate what you're saying. This listener writes, I took... Asian American history as an elective in college to fulfill my history requirements in class with only eight other students. It was a really different look at U.S. history than what I'd had in the past, though I wish it hadn't taken until college to learn it. And uh, this listener writes, it's great that cities are saying sorry, but without anything behind that apology, it doesn't mean much. It's fine to have a park or an exhibit, but what about an Asian American history museum in D.C.? How about reparations? How about making sure our leadership is diverse? So many Chinese here are fifth and fourth generation, but are treated like they aren't real Californians. Um, Beth Lou Williams, I know that you testified on a panel about an Asian Pacific American Museum. Why was that something that was so important to you? What effect do you think it could have? And I'm curious if there is any momentum for something like that. Yes, I, I testified um, before Congress um, as part of a bid for a Smithsonian um, to recognize the history of Asian Americans, um, really inspired by the African American Smithsonian that has, is so impressive and has um, done wonderful things for that history and that community. Um, you know, I think, in, unfortunately, this continued erasure of Asian Americans in um, U.S. education, but then also in museums and whether art museums or history museums, just various sites of American popular culture is a persistent problem for the community. I mean, because one of the stereotypes that Asian Americans face is that they are outsiders, that they're foreigners, that they're, you know, sort of forever alien to American society. And I think that therefore, one of the things we can do to try to address these stereotypes is to insist that they are part of this history. Um, and so a Smithsonian would go a long way towards that. But I also think, you know, I, I, to um, respond to our 
uh, your caller, Don, who was talking about um, terrible racism that he has experienced as an African-American man from the Asian community, I actually think that those sorts of continued um, tensions and, and racism and attacks are one of the reasons we need to go back to this history. Because I think, um, you know, the... Um, American society would understand better this history if they understood the ways it connected to other parts of our history that we know more about. You know, so the, the history of anti-Asian violence is linked to a history of discriminatory policing in the West, a history of discriminatory policing that also affects other communities of color, like African Americans and Mexican Americans. It's also connected to, um, you know, a history of immigration control and border control that intersects with a history that has affected um, Latino, Latina, Latinx community. You know, so I think that actually um, adding Asian American experience to our understanding of U.S. history will help us to um, see the connections actually between these different communities of color and, and not just focus on these con unfortunate continuing tensions that we see. Again, we're talking with Beth Lou Williams, Associate Professor of History at Princeton University. Also with us is Russell Jung, Professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. Also, Connie Young-Yu, author of Chinatown, San Jose, USA. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Ellie writes, I'm curious what the guests think about preserving this history. I know here in Antioch we have plenty of historical sites, but not necessarily the funds needed to research and protect them. How can cities like mine attract the nonprofit and education dollars? Connie Young, do you have any advice for Ellie based on your own experience getting what you were able to um, work with the city of San Jose and getting? You mentioned a park and so on. Well, the city of San Jose is very fortunate because we have at uh, History Park, a Chinese American museum, which is uh, a replica temple, a replica of the temple that was in the Heinlandville Chinatown that is a museum uh, of Chinese Americans and our history in Santa Clara County and uh, connected to the United States. But um, it has the artifacts from the Market Street Chinatown, this talk about the burning, and it has the history of the town of Heinlandville and it has the original altar of the beautiful temple that was in the Highlandville Chinatown. Uh, and there are programs, educational programs for students. There are docent-led um, tours. So we have a continuing education here and development also of curriculum, which we think is incredibly important, curriculum for the Santa Clara County Schools. So this is... Um, something that has been going on for 30 years and it will continue. Um, certainly the apology resolution has focused a great deal of, of, of attention on our history, uh, actually nationwide. And, and uh, we have a way of, of continuing the dialogue through you know, our museum and um, through you know, community programs. <clears throat> well, certainly you are making the case for why it is important to try to put some energy and, and resources behind 
creating something like that. Kevin in San Francisco writes, thank you so much for this important conversation about the context and contributions of Chinese communities in our state in relation to the discussion around unacknowledged histories. I spent a lot of time in the Sacramento Delta. This region was transformed into farmland, which was done largely by Chinese laborers after the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. The town of Locke is a historical example of a rural community that Chinese immigrants were able to build up and own property in, though not legally at the time. And Jennifer writes, the reason these reconciliatory apologies are still important is that a line is drawn here and now announcing that these acts were wrong and to be denounced, as well as acknowledgement that they happened and will not be forgotten history. So many young people today do not know these horrors happened and look at history as a pleasant place, which puts a much different context as to where we are today. Everyone should know how far we have come and how far we have to go. Stop Asian hate is a very old movement. Russell Jung, I, I want to ask you what thoughts you have as well on how to how to fill the gaps that we have that you see as contributing what you what you see as sort of the next steps from your vantage point as both an academic and someone who's been tracking attacks against Asian Americans in modern day. Yeah, you know, the apologies are great and they're um, symbolically valuable, but we have to do more. And so that's why we're really promoting at Stop API Hate, um, requiring ethnic studies. Um, a lot of callers just said, you know, they didn't take anything. They didn't know about the history of our nation. And, you know, our nation is replete with violence against indigenous people, African-Americans, Latinos, Asians, and we need to know it or else the cycle of violence will continue. That's what your caller discussed, that there's still racial tensions in the United States. So anti-CRT, critical race theory opponents across the nation now are proposing we shouldn't teach about race. We shouldn't discuss racism in America. But I actually argue we do need to acknowledge what's happening or else we'll continue to repeat the problem. We'll continue that cycle of violence so that, you know, hurt people hurt others. And the best way to stop the racism, the best way to um, break that cycle is for us to get educated about it and then to develop empathy for each other. Well, and I was struck, Russell, by the fact that you're a fifth generation uh, Chinese American and that your own family also experienced being driven out. Right. So my great grandparents um, settled in Monterey and for four decades, they built a thriving business. Um, they were on Stanford University property and they got evicted when they wouldn't move. A fire burned down the entire village and Stanford fenced off the area so they couldn't um, return. My, my family, who were, you know, again, had a thriving shipping business, they, were, um, they couldn't own property for two generations. So as a descendant who's been um, part of that trauma, um, I, I don't want just a mere apology. I want real reparations. And in yeah. the same way, I think we need that for other groups as well. It's not uh, hard to find stories like this. Russell Jung, Beth Lou Williams, Connie Young Yu, and earlier Mayor Lamar Thorpe. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Thanks to Grace One for producing this segment. Thanks to our listeners for their thoughts. And you have been listening to Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.